today. I fly in and Euro qualifying, it's England. But after beating the Bulgars, can they KO Kosovo? With that and all the interesting bits from the international weekend. Plus, women are attractive as record crowds flock to WSL season opener. Javi no gracia as Watford decide to say it with Flores. And mind that butterfly, we have another tinker with the football continuum in Flip Reverse It. All that in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. All right then. Hi, listener. Welcome to a brand new week. Joining us today in from The Athletic, we've got Jack Lang. Good morning. In from The Afton Bladder, we've got Frida Fagerlund. Good morning. Good morning to you, Frida. And in from the 905 to King's Cross, Daniel Story. Not far above. 8.21. Oh, was it? This morning, yes. Fair. Very shortly, we'll also be joined by Kate Borsay of the Offside Rule podcast. Uh, but uh, I think item one on the agenda, Frida, has to be your trip to Wembley. On field, how impressive do you think England looked, Frida? It's it's quite difficult to say, even though they won by 4-0. Um, I, I wasn't impressed uh, during the first 25 minutes. I was impressed by Raheem Sterling, though, because he was the only one I felt that actually did something creative and, and actually offered something different. I'm impressed, but at the same time, it, it was Bulgaria. I see. Yeah. Jack's nodding so vigorously his head may fall off if we don't go to him next. Jack. Thank you. Uh, yes, I thought it was it was fine. England, I think, have, have developed quite a nice rhythm and way of seeing off these teams who don't offer much. In the past, it's not hard to think that far back to remember England kind of grinding their way through qualifying grim, grimly. I mean, I suppose if, if we are going to uh, win matches... The preference would be to win them by a fair margin and with with a few gears to spare, I, I would say. Uh, the question, I think, is whether that prepares us adequately for the big tournaments uh, when they come around. Obviously, the old adage, you can only beat what's in front of you, but this kind of, uh, you know, 4-0, 4-1, 5-0 waltz through qualification, I suppose, the, the issue is whether that really leaves us ready when the, the tournament arrives. Looks like Harry Kane's ready to take penalties. Yeah, I think he's probably the best penalty taker in the world at the moment. When you watch him take a penalty, it makes it look, you wonder how goalkeepers can ever save penalties because he hits it so hard and so far into the corner um, and seems to have a disguise on the shot. I think we all, when watching penalties, kind of have a little second guess where we think it's going to go. And more often than not with Kane, you get it wrong because there's, there is a real disguise in the way he runs up. Uh, I thought the only neg- slight negative was probably Marcus Rashford, who has now got one goal from open play or one non-penalty goal for uh, in his last 14 for club and country. And I think if Southgate had been able to pick a goal scorer before the game, I think it probably would have been Rashford, and obviously he didn't get one. Um, he was you know, fouled for a penalty, but yeah, that's the only slight negative, I think. Frida, did you, did you do a match report for the Afton Bladet? Yeah. What was the message of your... What was your conclusion? What was your final paragraph? The midfield is... Not really there to me. I mean, all the pieces aren't really put together. I'm not really sure uh, which players should, uh, you know, be in the starting eleven. Really, um, I think that's England's problem at the moment. Everything else is fine, but midfield is a problem for me. Right, it's a new problem for England, isn't it? <laughs> uh, next up, it's Kosovo uh, on Tuesday. It's St Mary's Kosovo, Jack, who I read are on track to be the biggest story in international football in a long while. Why? Yes, I would say so. It's a really uh, it's a really recent team. They only got FIFA and UEFA approval in 2016. That makes them the youngest country on the on the international scene along with Gibraltar. 
They they were in World Cup qualifying, but they did awfully. What they lost uh, nine of their ten games, drawing the other, and it really seemed at that point that they were going to have a very steep road to uh, achieving anything in international football because they'd obviously, uh, you know, there's, it's a just disputed region. It's uh, it's a young country, so it hasn't. It's not like they've had years and years of of football brilliance to fall back on. There were kind of disappointing years when they when they thought they were going to get their own football team, but FIFA recognition didn't come. So they've had to wait a long time. During that time, a lot of uh, players of Kosovan origin have ended up playing for other nations. Mm-hmm. The, the famous ones being uh, Shakiri, Shaka, Berami. Uh, but amazingly, since that World Cup qualifying campaign, they've changed manager and they're unbeaten since. They've not lost once in their last 14 matches. They've started the group really well. They beat the Czech Republic at the weekend, having beaten Bulgaria a few months ago. And I spoke to one of their players, the guy who scored the, the winner against Bulgaria a few months ago. It's called Elba Rashani, really nice guy. And he said they're not thinking they're going to overhaul England by any means. But there's a lot of belief in that squad. It's a young squad. They say they've always had a lot of technically gifted forward players, but they needed a little bit more organisation. That seems to have come now. And yeah, I think it's a it's a really nice story. I don't know whether they're going to be able to cope with England, maybe not, but they look a, a really good bet to qualify. And even if they don't finish in the top two, they've already secured a playoff place through their Euro... Uh, yeah, through their Nations League campaign. That's through right. their Nations League campaign. Which which tier were they in in the Nations League? Was it, gr- I think it was D? The, the bottom one, yeah. The bottom one. But to go from this winless campaign in the World Cup qualifier to unbeaten at this point, two points clear of the Czech Republic in second place, is it because players who previously would do one for Switzerland or wherever are now sticking around? Essentially, yes. So the current manager is called... Bernard Chalandez is a Swiss guy and he's kind of, he's tactically brought it all together. But his predecessor, uh, Albert Bunjaki, who lost all those games of World Cup qualifying, actually did a great job behind the scenes. He travelled all around Europe speaking to these guys of Kosovan origin, uh, who, like you say, previously might have paid, played for Switzerland or there are a lot of guys in Scandinavia, Albania, of course, uh, another country that a lot of Kosovan born people would end up playing for and he basically just convinced them look we've got something going on here this could be really special and Rashani who I spoke to said he felt a a stronger connection to Kosovo than he thinks many other people feel to their countries that it's really united them and yeah there's there's talent there a good example he's not in the squad at the moment because he's injured but someone who was convinced to come and play for them is a guy called Milot Rashica who plays in Germany for Bremen really exciting attacking midfielder someone who in the past might have ended up playing elsewhere he's got on board in the project and yeah i think it's a it's just a great story to watch brilliant all right well they're going to be in action against england on tuesday night just 1.8 million the population of kosovo extraordinary story daniel it clearly is a brilliant story i think in terms of it i think england will beat them and probably beat them comfortably and the one thing this shows is well it shows two things firstly this is why we have the nation's league because qualifiers are increasingly becoming pretty one-sided for the biggest nations against the rest but it also shows just what a, an incredibly fortunate draw or or unfortunate if we would like a bit more test england got we got the bottom team in in the second ranked uh, which is Czech Republic. We got the second bottom team in the third ranked, which was Bulgaria. We then got the fifth ranked out of 10, which is Montenegro. And Kosovo were the only kind of higher ranked team that we drew. So, yeah, I suspect Gareth Southgate, if he could go back, would actually have, you know, we could have drawn Serbia, Germany, Romania as a th- those three teams instead. So it shows just what a fortunate draw we got. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Elsewhere in the Euro qualifiers. Bizarre scenes in Paris 
where France faced Albania, played the national anthem of Andorra. The Albanians refused to take the field until that was rectified, so then the PA apologised to a third country, Armenia. France won the game 4-1 to stay in a three-way affair on top of their table. How very French. Level with Turkey and Iceland. Italy's perfect start continued with wins over Armenia or someone like that and Finland. Il cross a cercare Pellegrini, il colpo di testa, il vantaggio dell'Italia ha segnato Pellegrini con un colpo di testa. Italy are now just one victory away from qualifying, so it looks like they will be turning up this time. The Finns are in second place with man of the moment Temo Pukki uh, posting two goals in two games over the international break, but Armenia are up to third after their shock. 4-2 win over Bosnia-Herzegovina, which saw two goals from Henrik Mikatarian and the resignation of the Bosnia coach, one Robert Prozineski. Kazarian just slows things up. Basayan has it. Mikatarian, quick feet, the finish, that'll seal it! Ryan Giggs got a win for Wales, just an own goal for the ages from Pavlo Pashayev, and a late winner from Gareth Bale saw them beat Azerbaijan 2-1 to stay third. No such luck for Scotland, who took the lead in their must-win match with Russia through John McGinn before Juba, and an own goal from Stephen O'Donnell saw them lose 2-1. Belgium next, looks like they'll be needing that Nations League playoff. Ireland drew 1-1 with Switzerland thanks to a late David McGoldrick equaliser. They stayed top of Group D. Meanwhile, the two games we talked up on Thursday both featured goals galore. In Hamburg, Netherlands stunned the Germans 4-2, including this from Gigi Wijnaldum. The Manshaft will be visiting group leaders Northern Ireland tonight. And three goals in the last five minutes saw Portugal finally overcome Serbia 4-2 in Belgrade, including this from Bernardo Silva. <laughs> Woo, some result there for the Portuguese. Do you see that game, Jack? I did. Here's Tom Cundert saying uh, there was a, it was inevitable a time would come with Bernardo Silva, who scored that fourth goal, would displace Ronaldo as Portugal's most important player. I, says Tom, think that time has arrived. Wow. Yeah, I think that's a fair comment. Ronaldo was fairly quiet, albeit did score and set up a goal, so not bad for a, <laughs> not bad, not bad for a, a slight off day. But yeah, Bernardo was really good. Didn't just score the goal, but his pass to, to Ronaldo for the third was gorgeous, really. Um, it's a strange kind of game because Serbia were never really not in it. You know, Portugal scored four times, but Serbia looked really threatening. Tadic, I thought, was always a problem for the Portugal back line. Um, Mitrovic has now scored 16 in his last 18 internationals. Wow. Which is pretty impressive, whichever way you cut it. But just got over the line, Portugal. I think Serbia will probably feel a little bit hard done by, but uh, just cutting edge in the final third told, I think, in the end. It was a victory that the European champions had to have looking at the group. You were quite concerned about Croatia, Daniel, last time you were in. Yeah, they brilliant. 4-0. Four, 4-0 nil. Four nil in Slovakia. In Slovakia. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's uh, they'd already lost in Hungary, Croatia, so that was a huge result. Right. Um, and probably guarantees that they'll get at least second in that group now. So. Okay. They're in Wales's group, of course. Uh, they're at Azerbaijan this Monday evening. Germany and Netherlands was the other one. What an extraordinary match this mm. was. Talking about scoring streaks, Serge Gnabry, who we mentioned, is that nine goals in eight now? Yeah, scored again. And he was Germany's only good player, really, as well. Or certainly their only good outfield player. Because Manuel Neuer was probably their second best player. And it was humbling for the Germans. The two best players for, for Holland are 
probably the two most improved players in European football over the last couple of years, I think, in Memphis Depay and Jorginho Wijnaldum. Right. I think we knew Wijnaldum was a solid, kind of reliable midfielder, but he is leading that Dutch midfield now. He was amazing. And uh, Depay is kind of suddenly ruthless again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Andrew Lang uh, asks, just how good, hello Andrew, uh, just how good are this Dutch side and how on earth have they managed it so soon after a disastrous 2016 campaign? I mean, I suppose they've in part ridden on the back of the Ajax feel-good mood. Um, clearly there are key players there from from Ajax, but they also have have some strength in depth that they didn't have before and yeah I mean they were they were miles better than Germany who have you know Jürgen Löw has big problems he's I think he's won four of nine competitive games since signing his new deal right. pre-world cup so mm. he's in a bit of in a bit of strife the weird thing about Germany is from a team that used to have a midfield that seemed to dominate the whole side they used to have like six of their players in any given starting lineup used to be midfielders they've now basically got no midfield at all they played a back five here they played basically three up front the midfielders were Kroos and Kimmich Kimmich you know is a is a jobbing midfielder I'm sure he's can do the job like Lahm did but almost an absence in the center of the field and yeah it's a it's a strange I thought it was a strange decision to play a back five because Schultz on the left is quite an attacking player but on the right you've got Klosterman who's a bit of a clogger so it's they're sacrificing one a, a position that could be quite an attacking position for someone who, who's more of a defender than he is a player on the front foot. Yeah, I thought they just look very disjointed. Mm. Slight qualifier to all this is that uh, Germany are in action Monday night mm. uh, against the group leaders, uh, Northern Ireland. Jonathan Tao will have to play better if he plays. He was abysmal. He was probably at fault for three of the four Dutch gold, I'd say. Okay. Uh, he's got a big reputation. He captained their under-21s at the Euros this summer. But yeah, he was dreadful. See if Yugi Love throws in the tower. Very good. Not, not really. No, I was being nice. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we'll move on. Uh, Frida, Frida, we haven't talked about Group F yet. Spain, who beat the Faroe Islands 4-0, are running away with it. Behind them, who is it? Sweden. How are you feeling? Quite good. I mean, the game against Faroe Island was uh, pretty good. Victor Lindelof scored a beautiful goal. And the game against Norway... 1-1 mm, draw. Yeah, it, it wasn't the best performance. Um, quite boring, to be honest. Right. Which was a little bit the Sweden that we saw in the World Cup, with all due respect. Is that is uh, Sweden become a more conservative outfit again? Maybe not, but I thought that Norway was the better oh. team. Mm. Um, and it was all because of Lars Lagerbeck, obviously, their, their manager who managed Sweden um, and Iceland uh, when they knocked England out of the Euros mm. back in 2016 and he's very he's very good at destroying a game completely and that's what happened yesterday and I f also feel that Sweden uh, misses um, Victor Klaasson a lot uh, oh. he was injured against Spain in June turns out that we really need a player like that a creative uh, player a big name creative player who's not currently with the Swedish national side Interesting. <laughs> Quick question. Do you, why does John Guidetti have a, a, a professionally produced song about him? Do you know this song? The moons are flying ball And heaven's burning fast The moment's gonna last You mean all the world to me Young Guidetti yeah. It's by, I'm going to call them Bad Pukin, but... <laughs> <laughs> bad <laughs> Okay. Silly James. We'll go Paul. with your one. Uh, so, so why has he got this kind of 
quite extraordinarily plaintive uh, ode to his... He was really popular after the under-21 Euros back in 2015 when okay. Sweden won uh, the whole tournament, which came out of the blue, really. And he was the main character. He's only 27 still. I mean, you know... He's been kind of... He was really highly rated at Manchester City. Really highly rated. And it kind of feels like because it didn't work out there, it sort of sent him on a bit of a spiral where it's not really working out anywhere. Mm. He's currently at Alaves. Mm. You know, maybe. 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 Also notable in the Sweden-Norway game was the appearance of, on the Norway team, Erling Braut Haaland, son of... Alfinger. Oh my goodness. And kind of jumped onto the scene when he scored in May at the Under-20 World Cup, scored nine goals for Norway in a game against Honduras. They won 12-0 and he scored nine of them. And partly on the back of that has got a move to Red Bull Salzburg, where he's already scored, I think, like seven goals in six games in the Austrian Bundesliga. So his scoring has really fallen off then. Yeah, he's the next big thing in kind of Scandinavian football, apparently. Wow, they're in uh, Liverpool's Champions League group as well, RB Salzburg. Indeed. A couple more family members. You could have the Haaland Globetrotters. Wow. Wow. (laughs) That's brilliant. Uh, (laughs) What about... um, what about their other prodigy, Udegaard? Edegaard? <laughs> yeah. He, he set the goal up. Right, okay. And is having a, well, the very early stages of a revival in Spain with Real Sociedad. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Norway currently languishing in fourth place in that group, but they're only two points behind Sweden. And Romania, who are separate the two teams, are only one point behind the Swedes. Oh, Mondays. In terms of popularity, they're up there with Brussels sprouts, dental surgery and Neymar, aren't they? But at Paddy Power, we wanted to do something to make Mondays a bit less Monday. So now Mondays are Money Back Mondays, when we get you, the punters, to nominate your lost football bet on Twitter, using the hashtag Money Back Mondays, to vote in our Monday Twitter poll, and then we refund on the most popular market as a free bet. Paddy Power, home of the Money Back Special. T's and C's apply. No max stake. Refund will be as a free bet. Does not apply to shop bets. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. I mean, how could he not return? The sound there of Watford fans singing to manager Kike Sanchez Flores during his spell at Vicarage Road four years back. Well, of course, dramatic news on Saturday with Watford announcing that he's back, replacing manager and part-time Assad lookalike Javi Gracia after a slump that's seen the Hornets win only once since April. Kike, if you're interested, has since guided Espanyol to eighth in La Liga and then been rather less successful in China. It is... Watford's 10th head coach change since 2012. How's it all going down with the fans? Well, here is Mike Parkin, host of the award-winning From the Rookery End podcast, who we spoke to a little earlier. Watford fans have had to readjust their expectations pretty quickly. Certainly I have. The aim now is to avoid relegation. I think it's it's as simple as that. We've seen clubs um, of a similar stature come up, spend a couple of seasons in the Premier League and and then head back down. We want to make sure that that's not us, and I think that's why they, they've acted so so quickly to change manager at, at this stage, change head coach. But so, yes, I do think it's a relegation battle. It's, it, it may sound a bit daft to be saying that just four games into a campaign, but it felt for a long time that, that Javi's days were numbered. Um, obviously, the start of this season has been poor, but then if you 
add that on to the end of last season, which was which was pretty bad as well. Watford historically, in, since they returned to the Premier League, they have been poor um, as in the end uh, in the end of seasons, and, and that was replicated again last year. And I think the FA Cup final appearance masked that a little bit. People weren't focusing on the on the league form because obviously we had the, the showpiece cup final to look forward to. The less said about that, the better. Um, we haven't kept a clean sheet since February in the Premier League, for example. Uh, and there haven't really been many signs of it being turned round. Um, so the, 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 the sacking itself didn't come as a surprise, I, I have to be honest. But what did come as a surprise was 31 minutes later, the tweet that announced Kike Sanchez Flores was back. Now that, I think, anyone outside the, the inner sanctum at, uh, at Vicarage Road would have had to read that tweet three or four times. I know I certainly did, um, just to, to get it through my head. I thought At first I thought it was a parody account when I saw it. Um, good in some respects. We know what we're going to get with Kike. Um, an incredibly handsome and fine-smelling man, actually. I have to. It's, it's important to say just to get the the full flavour, the full feeling of the man. He's he's a great figurehead for Watford. He's a good fit in terms of how we want to portray ourselves as a club. His mo is tighten up defence, um, which is obviously something that, that that Watford need working on. But it's a different club. It's a different team that he's in a different situation that he's coming into than he did previously when he was brought in at the start of our current Premier League adventure to, to deliver a more pragmatic approach, I think, to make sure we were hard to beat in that first Premier League season. And and he did it. But the thing that Kike benefited from, we had Troy Deeney and Odion Egalo scoring for, for fun. So Kike could sort of focus on defence while the, 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 the attack took care of itself this time round. Troy Deeney's obviously out injured for, for a couple of months and Andre Gray is the only person that looks like scoring um, for Watford. So he's got, he really has got a job on his hands. He's got to focus on defence and putting the ball in, in the back of the net. So not, not too big an ask for him. Mike Parkin and there's more Watford chat on the From the Rookery M podcast. What do you make of all that then? I think it was the right decision to sack Javi Gracia. This is not a short-term thing. The FA Cup final kind of overshadowed some pretty wretched league form. It is a surprise to see Sanchez Flores back, but clubs that end up getting relegated quite often lurch between managers. Actually, what you need is someone that knows the place and has a better chance of hitting the ground running. Then probably makes sense to... And perhaps a nice scarf. In A very nice scarf. Mm. Uh, Flores' departure last time was because he, he had the thing about his wages and they weren't particularly happy with that it wasn't just about performance um, because they finished 13th in the league under him and got the FA Cup semi-final and he is a pragmatist and he'll make the defence better but they're struggling to score goals so I'd, I worry for him on that front really okay yeah. bottom of the table right now a tough start coming up Arsenal at home then Man City away mm. it's an interesting pair of games can you, you know, say there were what 10 managerial changes since 2012 can you name all the managers the Potsers have been through I wonder Here's a game you can play at home. Uh, I'll start you off. Zola. Oscar Garcia is That's in there. That's one. Yeah, we've got two. Billy McKindley. Brilliant. Three. Sanino. Yes. Yes. Javi Garcia. Oh, clearly, yeah. Kike Sanchez Flores. That's another one. Get those Marcus two in. Silva. Yes, we're missing Walter two. Walter Mazzari. Brilliant. Just one now, and I'm kind of surprised. Is that old? Sean Dyche. Nope. That earlier. Kind of surprised you haven't got this one. Mm. Mm. Recently appeared in the Premier League for a while with another club. I would say a ruggedly handsome man in his own right. I see. Slavisa Jokanovic. Of course. Mm. Yeah. 
<laughs> what do you make of managers going back? In Italy, they call it minestra riscaldata. They, they, they suggest that it's like reheated soup that pleases no one. I think a famous example would be Saki when he went back to Milan, and where, of course, he'd become one of the most effective managers in the world originally and presided over a team that, that, that slumped to a 6-1 defeat, if I don't recall incorrectly, and, uh, to, uh, to Juventus and all sorts of other indignities. What really bothers me about all this is that Watford is on the cusp of doing something special um, and what they're lacking is consistency. They are either good uh, during the first half or the second half. Uh, they're really struggling. Watford will really benefit from having a manager who's a long-term solution. I don't feel that like Flores is. Is anybody more optimistic about Flores' return? I think there's logic there if he can sort the defence out. We've said, I think we've said on here before, they haven't collected clean sheets since February and that's not good enough. The problem is, is they've only scored more than once in a Premier League game. In the last 20, I think they've only scored more than once in the game four times and three of those opponents are now in the Championship. Uh, so there's a clearly an issue with goals and with Deeney injured, it's pretty much just Andre Gray as their only stri- goal-scoring striker and he's not, he's not good enough to do that, to hold a team. So... Danny Welbeck's going to have to get fit and firing pretty quickly, I think. I think they'll stay up, but yeah, it's a bit of a mess. The problem they've got is it's club, it's like Southampton, where if you're outside the top six, if you get something badly wrong, it doesn't just end up with you falling away a little bit. It can end up with you falling from 10th to second bottom or bottom in the Premier League and going down very quickly because it's hard to turn things around. Southampton just managed it. Now it's Watford's turn. Well, best of luck then to KK Sanchez Flores and the new look Watford. Up next, it's the WSL. Women's Super League kicked off this weekend. Big games, big gates and some big goals. Kate Borsay, uh, host of the offside rule and the new WSL edition thereof, is here with us. Kate, first of all, I mean, I think most of the headlines have been about the numbers, the the in- in- incredible record crowds, and particularly the Manchester derby. 31,000 there? Yeah, just over 31,000 there. In fact, across all the fixtures, and there were six in the WSL, which the, the top league of women's football, um, just under 63,000. But there was a real attendance battle going on between the Manchester derby held at the Etihad on Saturday and then, of course, Chelsea versus um, Spurs at Stamford Bridge on Sunday. And by all accounts, we thought Stamford Bridge was going to be a bigger crowd. Mm. No international football on Sunday at all. And and the battle of those attendances was won by the Etihad uh, and that Manchester derby with uh, punters who paid for their tickets as right. opposed to those who went to Stamford Bridge who didn't. So Chelsea had given out, was it 40,000 free tickets? Yeah, so Chelsea had allocated around 40,000 free tickets and that's what they expected. Um, and when we got there, we uh, they, they, they actually opened up the top tier because the demand was so high after the first tranche was, um, was allocated. So we were expecting big numbers and nothing to get in the way of this fixture as well. You know, perhaps some lower league games on but no international fixtures so the path should have been clear but for some reason and we'll look at it in today's show around 15,000 fans didn't show up to Stamford Bridge for that game could they not be bothered because it was free possibly but then why did you know why did so many turn up at the Etihad and not at Stamford Bridge when arguably the atmosphere at Stamford Bridge was a lot more carnival right Frida you went along didn't you to Stamford Bridge yeah I did what did you make of the game? 
thought it was quite nice. Um, f- first of all, I, f- I thought it was good that Chelsea didn't win by eight or nine nil or something like that. Uh, it was actually uh, quite a competitive game. I mean, overall, it was, of course, amazing to see women playing on the Stamford Bridge, mm. even though the, the ladies' restroom at Stamford Bridge was uh, more crowded than usual. <laughs> but I can live with that. Okay. <laughs> As you say, the newly promoted Spurs giving a good account of themselves, and it was it was it was nice that Man United did the same in, in the derby up at the Etihad. Yeah, and, and I'd argue actually that Manchester United women are um, probably a step above Spurs in in terms of where we are at with capability in that league and you know possible sides to make a run in for the title. What was good about Spurs is that they hung on defensively. Chelsea will rue missed opportunities in that first half at Stamford Bridge, and they arguably should have put away more. It did sort of lack a bit in the second half for me at Stamford Bridge. I think Spurs were getting a little bit tired, but, you know, hanging on well enough. Um, But for me, you know, Chelsea still perhaps not as cohesive as they should be. So I think we're yet to see another level from Chelsea. Well, I should caveat that by saying I hope that we are still going to see another level up from Chelsea. But they got the 1-0 victory. They got the win. So job done in terms of Emma Hayes' side and she can concentrate um, on matters next week. Okay, there was some absolute screamers. Beth England's goal in that match. The, the goals weird were goal, the brilliant. Meads. Yeah, and, and you know, again, apart from the attendances, the second headline of the weekend is those wonderful goals. And of course, we've all been speaking about Caroline Weirs. It's the first goal of the WSL season for Manchester City against Manchester United with her left foot. Another left footer from um, Beth England as well, who scored for Chelsea in just four minutes at Stamford Bridge. Great one for Beth Mead. But you know, look up Farrell Williams's free kick. Uh, for Reading. Um, They played Liverpool. I think hers might well top the lot. Brilliant. Returning then to the the ticket thing, though, there seems to be a feeling that free giveaways is great, but actually may not work as well as actually making people pay for attending these football matches? I guess if you pay to attend, then you don't want to lose your money, although it wasn't a lot. Um, an adult and three kids could go for as little as £7 oh, really? to the Manchester derby at the Etihad, yeah. I think what's useful for Chelsea is that, you know, for them it's all about data. How much data can they collect from the people who are applying for tickets and then they can target them. Um, so... All is not lost for Chelsea, but I was surprised personally how few of those allocated tickets, how few people turned up. I think it's important now that once all the razzmatazz of this opening weekend's over, that you look at where your local team is. And if you want a good game to watch and they are generally on a Sunday, although not always, um, head along and go and see it. Check out our WSL edition show as well, where we'll be breaking it all down and explaining how it all goes. And, you know, also pointing out the things that you might have missed. Um, The FA player is excellent as well. That's a new initiative from the FA. You can watch every single game. You can watch every single um, uh, batch of highlights on every game as well there. So the awareness is there. Everything is set for this to be a bumper season of WSL and we're really looking forward to it. Brilliant. All right, so that's on iTunes, Spotify, Audio Boom, and pretty much everywhere. Just search for Offside Rule WSL Edition. And if you'd like to put your name on that podcast as a sponsor, do drop us an email at sales at muddyneesmedia.com. Hey listener, what are you wearing right now? Could it be a little smarter? Could it fit a little better? Well, the good news is we're sponsored today by T.M. Lewin, Britain's favourite shirt maker, who've sold over 30 million shirts since they started up in 1898. 
They produce the finest pure two-fold cotton shirts in the classic German street style, wardrobe essentials that every man needs. TM Lewin shirts are ideal for every day of the working week. They're great quality and even better value. You might say that they're Champions League shirts at championship prices. There's a TM Lewin designed for everyone, so no matter your size or whether you prefer something plain or with stripes or a print, they have a style and a fit for you. Because you listen to the Totally Football Show, TM Lewin want to give you a bit of a treat. Right now, if you head to tmlewin.co.uk and enter the promo code TOTALLY at the checkout, you can get any shirt for just £24.95. There's free click and collect delivery to any of their 70 stores nationwide, so visit tmlewin.co.uk, enter the promo code TOTALLY to get any shirt for just £24.95. TM Lewin, Britain's favourite shirt. Jack, North, South and Central America. What kind of things were happening there this weekend over the international break? Should we start with USA and their horror show featuring Chucky? Yes, they lost 3-0 to Mexico. Uh, Chucky Lozano. Chucky Lozano being the Chucky you're talking about. Yeah, a very strange kind of performance from the USA. I've been reading some of the US reaction to this Uh and basically the coach, who's Greg Behalter, is trying to play out from the back, this kind of passing patient style we've seen elsewhere. And the feeling is they maybe don't have the players for it. Mexico's second goal was the result of uh, an attempted passing move out from the goalkeeper that just fell apart on the edge of their box, gave Mexico a really simple goal. And yeah, they they actually have a lot of players who might be suited to the kind of counter-attacking football the USA have been more known for in the past. Obviously, we know Pulisic, there's Weston McKinney, who's a great athlete, Josh Sargent, who came off the bench and missed a penalty in this game. So, yeah, I think there's a slight disjunct between the the players available and the kind of football that Behalter is trying to play. Mm. Uh, Mexico looked quite good, though. Chicharito scored a great assist by Jesus Corona, who nutmegged someone and, and put the ball in for Javier Hernandez to score. His nickname, obviously, Corona is a brand of beer. Mm. His nickname is a rival brand of beer because they didn't want the name Corona to appear on his top. So his nickname is El Tecatito, which is just like... So he's he's nicknamed after another brand of beer so that brand of beer can be on the back of his shirt. I think, yeah, I think so. Is that a paid arrangement? Is this a kind of Nicholas Bentner to the nth degree? I think it was from early in his career and it's just kind of stuck with him. Damn. I, I mean, I, that is a very potted version of that story and I might have... Th- those are the broad strokes of it. Right, okay. But it's cool, isn't it? It's a very cool story. El Tecatito. Mm. <laughs> uh, moving on, Kevin Baxter <laughs> says it's uh, incredible that while this international break was happening, the MLS kept on rolling. This is crazy, says Kevin. Uh, Seattle Sanders will have 10 first-team players on international duty when they play Colorado on Saturday. Oh, and also... So their assistant coaches off with the US under-23s. So, yeah, it's curious, that, not it? Mind you, the same thing was true during the World Cup. Uh, USA up next against Argentina. So that's going to be interesting. Uh, Brazil took on Colombia. Uh, these are all friendlies, of course. Neymar scoring in that game. Yeah, scoring and setting the other goal up. Obviously, a tiny bit rusty because he hasn't played for, for months. But I think uh, a very welcome return to footballing action after all of the nonsense. He got absolutely clattered by Davinson Sanchez as well. He did, but he... And by a giant dragonfly. What? And by a giant dragonfly. It was one of those enormous insects. Do you remember when... Like uh, the Hannah's moth. Re- yeah. Yes. 
but Danny Alves stepped in and saved him. That's nice. Dramatic well, scene. It was so this was in Miami and it was very hot and probably the most arresting scene of the game was right. just the state of Chi Chi's shirt come the end of the match. Brilliant. With more sweat patches than you'd care to you'd There was a shirt patch something. probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah, almost there was a couple of dry bits. Okay. Uh, Danny Alves, of course, who's now very much playing in the Brasilia Rao. Yes, he went back to Sao Paulo, had a lot of offers over the summer and well, judging by the level he was at at the Copa America, I'm sure he could still play for a Champions League team. He's still absolutely got 90% of, of, of what he ever had, maybe a little bit less fitness and speed. But yeah, chose to follow his heart. He's supported Sao Paulo since he was a little boy. He used to watch Cafu galloping up the right flank. And yeah, it's been kind of an emotional reunion. But he, he still wants to play in the next World Cup. So he sees it as a way to get guaranteed uh, first-team football from now until then, which may be staying at... PSG or moving to another Champions League club, he may have been in and out of the side. Okay. Former Brazil manager Big Phil Scolari has just been sacked by Palmeiras. Yeah. Uh, he Well, he won the league with them last year, did very well. Uh, Palmeiras have got an absurd squad. They Basically, they and Flamengo have gone to a whole new level in terms of money. I, I won't bore you with the details, but they, they've got a massive squad. So he spent most of last year basically picking a whole different side for league matches and Libertadores matches changing 10, 11 players a week, did really well to win the league and things have gone a bit badly this season. And when the results go badly for Scolari, the sack comes quickly because the actual, the brand of football isn't very good. So they've mm. got a lot of talented players and it's a little bit stodgy at times. And yeah, he's still beneath, or he's still his old truculent self. He's a bit of a, bit of a character. Excellent work, Jack. Look forward to hearing more about similar things next time we go all South American. Right now though, it's time to hear from producer Ben. Thank you very much, Jimbo. Time to say hi to Lee Price from Paddy Power, who is on the line. As always, Lee, it was very easy for England against Bulgaria. Is it going to be a similar story against Kosovo? Yeah, thank God UEFA got rid of meaningless international friendlies. So we're going to have big, serious, competitive games like this one. England are 1-20 to to beat Kosovo, who are 25-1 to to get the win at Wembley, and the draw is 11-1. A non-event, a bit like this entire group, England 1-80 to to win their qualifying group. Lee, taking into account all of the results that we've been discussing in this show, give us the overall odds, please, for the winner of Euro 2020. Well, Ben, I think you could tell me the top eight in our betting, but I don't know you get the order right. That's not a slight on you. That's a reflection of some surprise favourites in our betting. Uh, you would guess the outright favourites, though. France, 7-2, to two, World Cup winners, of course they're favourites. Would you put England second in the betting? Maybe not, but we do. They're 9-2. to two. After them, you've got Belgium 6-1, Germany 7-1, Spain at 15-2, fifth favourites, interesting. Holland are shortening all the time at the minute, they're 8-1 now. Then you've got Portugal 12-1 and Italy, remember them, 16-1. Finally, Lee, we've also been discussing at length Watford and uh, their reappointment of Kike Sanchez-Flores. What's that done for their relegation odds? Well, after the managerial change, we think Watford will stay up, but to be honest, we thought that anyway. They remain sixth favourites in our betting to go down, i.e. they will stay up. Our favourites for relegation at 7-5 are Norwich, Newcastle and Sheffield United, all the same price. We think they'll be the three to go down. You can get Aston Villa at 6-4, Burnley at 2-1, or then you get Watford 23-10. By the way, next Watford manager, the early favourite, Javi Garcia. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Jarlath Clifford 
Hello, Jarleth. It says, any chance of a flip reverser on Michael Laudrup's tantalising proposed move to Liverpool in 1983? Could he have done it on a cold, rainy night at Notts County? That's an interesting question, isn't it, from, from Jarlath? Uh, <laughs> One I'm going to completely ignore by doing a different flip but, reverser. Yeah, but no, right. OK, yeah. well, it is almost time to stick another log in the DeLorean and uh, and, and head back in, in, in football time. But, well, maybe we'll come back to Jarlath's question later, possibly on another time. But, Daniel, you're going to take us back to the final day of the 2002-2003 season. Always good to hear Blazing Squad. The year is 2003, before many of those artists are actually born, in fact. Man United are champions again. Arsenal are second. With Newcastle under Sir Bobby Robson third, those places are sorted. Fourth place is very much up for grabs. Chelsea and Liverpool are level on points, but Liverpool have a superior goal difference. And what's this? Chelsea, managed by Claudio Ranieri, are hosting Gerard Julia's Liverpool on the final game of the season. Sammy Hippier heads in on 11 minutes. Marcel Desailly equalises three minutes later. And then, on 27 minutes, this happens. And the course of English football is marked forever. Ah, yes, But what if, Daniel, what if Jesper Gronkjaer hadn't sneaked that one in at the far post? Mm. That goal guarantees Chelsea Champions League football the following season. What it also does is persuade Roman Abramovich to buy Chelsea. And I Bruce... thought that's because he flew over their ground in a helicopter. No, Bruce Bruck has since said Champions League football was the clincher. Without that, there was no Roman Abramovich takeover. Um, so what would have happened to Abramovich's money? Or am I jumping would have, ahead of the story? Well, no, he, I think he would have gone elsewhere, not necessarily in England, although maybe in England. But um, most interestingly, Chelsea are crippled by debt at that point and are desperate for anything. They owe £75 million to one party. Matthew Harding's family are also getting itchy about money owed to them. And the reality is, is without that takeover, a Leeds United-style fire sale starts in which Terry and Lampard and... Desai and those sort of players leave Chelsea. Terry, according to most reports, goes to Arsenal. Arsenal, I think, probably become better because they finish the following season second to Chelsea. Uh, so Arsenal probably win the league in 2005. That's obviously a, a Jose Mourinho managed Chelsea. So Mourinho doesn't go to Chelsea. So what happens with him? Does he go to Manchester United earlier when Ferguson is under pressure in 2006, maybe? Potentially. Liverpool obviously qualify for the Champions League if they win that game. So Gerard Julio probably has a lot more goodwill at the club and maybe stays on and isn't replaced by Rafa Benitez, who then wins the Champions League in 2005 in Istanbul. But yeah, it, the, the Chelsea thing is, is huge because... Mm. That one goal effectively bought them their, their, their future. Yes, it did. The amount they were in debt was as much, if not more, than, than Leeds United were comparatively. And we saw what happened to them in their fall down the leagues. And mm. Yeah, they were a club in a real sticky patch. And, and, you know, Abramovich had reasons to come to England anyway, I think, in terms of his business assets and wanting to be in London. But yeah, it wouldn't have been Chelsea without Champions League football. Where do you think he would have gone? Where would his money have ended up? I don't know. I mean, maybe he would have bought, tried to buy a West Ham or a... Uh, another London club. So the helicopter story in, in which supposedly he was heading off to see uh, Tottenham Hotspur, White Hart Lane, mm. but his flight path from Battersea took him over Stamford Bridge mm -hmm. 
and resplendent in the, the, the sunshine, its lush green turf attracted his eye. Yeah, and he that... said, what's that place? And they said, oh, that's Chelsea. He said, oh, I'll have it. Is that not true? That is the, uh, the story. I suspect it's slightly apocryphal in that the Champions League football opened up a revenue stream to Chelsea that uh, meant that Abramovich paying off the debts came in had a future. It wasn't a simply a, you know, it wasn't throwing bad money or good money at bad Casting no aspersions there on Roman Abramovich because I value my own safety. Um, but yeah, no, I don't think without a Champions League he buys him. Okay. But you wouldn't hazard a guess as to where he would go? Yeah, I think another London club. I think that was his intention. So Tottenham, West Ham, Brentford. Fulham, Brentford, yeah. West London. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You should, you should map out the flight path and see where the next ground was. Well, as I say, I think but he was heading for... Millwall would probably be... Arsenal would be... The... Well, Arsenal would probably be on the way, wouldn't they? Yeah. Wait a second, no, this is 2000. So they were still a hybrid at that time. Well, it's still roughly on the way, isn't it? I suppose so. It's not like they were in Woolwich. That would be a detour. Now that's true. Wow, that's fascinating. Mm. Do you have any thoughts on uh, Yala's question about what happens if Michael Laudrup it goes to Liverpool in 1983? I mean, he's, to my mind, the greatest passer of the ball that's ever lived. So I think we can probably back him to have coped in English football. <laughs> Uh, but Liverpool were pretty successful anyway. I mean, maybe they've added another European Cup, but I think, yeah, I, I can't see it any side how. Right, that, we're, we're essentially living in the same reality stream so, yeah. that, that we would have I think Notts anyway. County lose that home game that he's referring to, yes. OK. Um, Laudrup, who we, we've previously uh, talked about, the extraordinary kind of hour-long video compilation of Laudrup's passing. 83 minutes, yes. <laughs> 83 yeah. minutes. And it is amazing. Uh, you, you said at the time that he, the game to play while you're watching it is to try and pick out the pass that Michael Laudrup will make. Nine times out of ten, you don't get it right. It, it's extraordinary. Plus, possibly the best-looking footballer of all time, I would suggest, no? Isn't uh, he, or is it just easy my time? There's, there's, there's a Zanetti stuck sort of style quality to there. The I do hair. not think. I think he's. Yeah. I think he's Jamie Lannister, but not there gone wrong. Yes, Jamie there is that. Yeah. Well, that was a terrific flip reverse hit. I had not not imagined that one goal had such a pivotal impact on the the course of English football history. Of course, Liverpool and Chelsea have faced each other so many times since that fateful day. In 2003, do you know how many times, Frida, have a bang on this one? How many times do you think Chelsea and Liverpool have faced each other in uh, official competition since that game 16 years ago? 16 God. years, so you've got to have at least two per season, so that's what, 24? Mm. What? Is it? I'm no, it's <laughs> 16 years, you've got to have at least two per season, second go at this, that's what, 34? Carry, carry no. 32. 32, yeah. 32 right, keep okay. This in, ben. Okay. Um, what do you think? Is it 30, 32? a lot more because they played each other at least three or four times the Champions League. I mean, mm. 47 will be my guess. That's what Daniel's saying. Higher or lower? Higher, maybe. Higher than 47? 51. I'll, wow. I'll go lower to leave Daniel with only a, a, a possible one correct answer. The correct answer is an astonishing 54 Whoa. times. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Ten points, ten imaginary points to Frida, which makes Frida our winner today. So wow! Yeah, so well done, Frida. Oh, and the winner, and and as Frida knows, the winner takes it all. Nice, oh, nice, nice. nice. Yeah. Uh, that's so very true. Excellent, yes. Daniel. When are you back? Uh, I'm back here next Monday, I think. But Brilliant. I'm off to Manchester for the football writing festival event oh, tonight. Oh, great! Okay, well, what's happening there? It's not a live event with friends of the show, Michael Cox and Duncan Alexander. Brilliant. And is there a theme? Uh, yes, it's going to be a review of the last 
A review of the decade of European football. Crikey. Broadly. What time does it start? Uh, I believe it's 6.30 till 9. Wow. If you're listening in Manchester... There's just a chance you can get along, but I bet the tickets are all gone, aren't uh, I don't know is the honest answer, but it's at the National Football Museum, so if you bang on the door hard enough, I'm sure they'll let you in. I'm sure. Has Michael recovered in time for that? Yes. <laughs> recovered from what? <laughs> it's an in-joke. Excellent. Well, listener, thank you so much for being with us through today's extraordinary voyage into understanding. Uh, we will, as I say, return on Thursday, so do join us then. In the meantime, have yourselves a lovely week. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Totally Football Show.